Hey, this is James H. Carr II from the Creepy Kingdom Podcast and the director of the Foolish Mortals documentary. And when I'm not making documentaries and creeping around my podcast, I'm listening to the Mickey Dudes Podcast. And now, from the Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor, it's the Mickey Dudes Podcast. Here's your master of ceremonies, Wazowski. Hello, humans! Hello, humans, and welcome to another episode of the Mickey Dudes Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Koch, and I'm joined tonight by my producer, Greg Nevis. I regret nothing, ever. And two of our rotating Mickey Dude commentators. From Houston, Texas, we have Jeff Williams. Flash photography? I wouldn't. That alters the homing signal, and that's not good. And from across the pond, we have Stephen Maxwell. I'm surrounded by idiots. And how are you gentlemen today? Absolutely awesome. Doing great. Fantastic. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Same here. So tonight we're going to be talking about little-known facts about Walt Disney World, and Disneyland for that matter. But before we do that, let's get into a WDW head trip. It's time for a Mickey Dude's head trip to WDW. Okay, grab shell, dude. Grab me. Okay, and for tonight, Jeff, will you start us off, please? You got it. So... This may not last much longer, but while it does last, um, I'm going to enjoy it. So as Disney's Animal Kingdom is closing down, what we like to do is get a late ADR at Tusker House. And that's just a, it's a perfect time. The, the sun has already set. The, the lights are twinkling. You can see the park with very few people in it. And then take your time, you know, browsing along, taking nice pictures of maybe the Tree of Life. Expedition Everest uh, across from Harambe Market uh, Bridge. And then it's just an enjoyable time with the music playing in the background. Nice. Stephen, where are you going? Yeah, well, I'm going to Epcot, uh, going to the Fountain View Cafe, which is now turned into a Starbucks. Uh, I'm going to sit outside there, middle of winter, uh, just coming on to 7, 8 o'clock. Uh, just sitting out in the terrace with hot chocolate, just looking over the fountain of nations, just taking in the music, taking in the dancing fountains, just getting ready to just wander around to World Showcase to find my spot for uh, illuminations to start at nine o'clock. Fantastic night, just so so cold, with hot chocolate in your hand, just taking in all the ambient scenes at Disney. Epcot. It's just fantastic. Craig, where are you going? I'm going to join you guys at Epcot. I was working outside today. It's in the, in the northeast here. It's just a beautiful day. You know, I'm outside cutting grass and doing some weeding and, and thinking, man, it would be just absolutely awesome to be at Epcot right now. Flower and gardens going on. Everything is beautiful. The scents are just fantastic. All the flowers, uh, the topiaries. I could just spend the whole day strolling around that entire park, just looking at all the flowers and the beautiful displays that they have and just enjoying the beautiful day and getting away from my responsibilities here with my yard work. So that's where I'd like to be going. And I'm joining you guys at the Epcot uh, Flower and Garden Festival. 
I'm actually on the bridge between Future World and the World Showcase. And I'm facing Spaceship Earth, and I'm looking over to my left and my right. There's a little extension of the World Showcase Lagoon, and it, at this time it's filled with flower pots. And these beautiful pastel flowers of all different colors floating in the water just like lily pads. To the back of me is the American Adventure as I turn around to look at the lagoon. You have two friendship boats kind of uh, transversing the sides of the lagoon, one going off to Germany, one going off to Morocco. And I'm just kind of enjoying the scenery, enjoying the beautiful blue sky, looking up at the clouds. Some of them are uh, looking like Disney characters. And it's just a really nice day to be in Epcot. Kind of just going to wander around the World Showcase, probably play Agent P's uh, World Showcase Adventure. And just kind of just slowly enjoy the day, really have no plans for the day. Just kind of be happy to be in Disney World. And this has been our WDW Head Trip. Okay, and today I have to give a nod to our producer extraordinaire, Greg, over here. Because while we were discussing a possible topic for today, he came up with a real dandy of one. It was out of necessity that we had to put a show together today and kind of going back and forth. He says, well, why not research some not known facts about Disney World and see what we can come up with and just sit around and talk about them? So that's exactly what we did. Apologize for the short notice, gentlemen, but let's see what you came up with. Stephen. Yep. Well, I'm heading over to Disneyland. Time is... 1955, when Disney World was just opening up. One of the first restaurants there was the Frito-Lay restaurant. It sold uh, tortillas to people walking by. And it used to be that at the end of the day, all the ones that were not sold were just thrown in the dumpster. One of the guys walking by one day saw all these mouldy old uh, tortillas and decided what are we going to do with these? He says, we can't just throw them away. I says, that's just an absolute waste. So they decided to take them back in and stick them in a the fryer. We now call these Doritos which is one of the biggest selling crisps right, or chips as you call it in the US uh, throughout the world. Uh, it's just invention just came out of absolutely nothing. It says, and the word Dorito means little golden things, which in the big picture of things has made this company millions and is one of those fantastic crisps that you have with your guacamole and your salsa and just day-to-day chips. Just such a good thing. So Doritos was actually born in Disneyland. That's cool. Yeah, they're one of my favorites. As a matter of fact, they're part of my uh, trip tradition all the time because I did know that fact. So anytime I'm on a flight to Disney World or Disneyland, I usually fly JetBlue because it's the most uh, convenient airline for me. And one of the snacks they always provide are uh, bags of Doritos. So I kind of feel that it's fitting since I'm going to Disney and they were invented in Disneyland. I always make sure to ask for Doritos when I'm on on a flight over there. I'm surprised for a Disneyland 60th anniversary they didn't have a moldy old Dorito flavor. 
<laughs> you know, you would think actually that they would be the official chip of something of uh, Disneyland. I guess maybe it's a uh, sponsorship thing now, but you would think that maybe they would be doing homemade Doritos somewhere within the parks. Like, they're known for their corn dogs, you know, on the other side. Yeah. Although, have you... You've been to Disneyland, right, uh, Jeff? Yeah. Have you ever had one of their chimichangas? Yes. Oh, those chimichangas are amazing. <laughs> they can rival the corn dogs. They can rival the turkey legs. People say Disneyland corn dogs are the best. I beg to differ. Give me the chimichanga any day. And with that, Jeff, what do you got for us? Well, guys, all right, so um, Stephen started off with a, some history. I think it's a good good path. Um, so when... Uh, we just had an anniversary for uh, Anim- Disney's Animal Kingdom. It's the 18th anniversary. It started uh, the uh, on Earth Day. So what Disney there really was new to getting into the animal game and trying to keep animals in a uh, zoo-like atmosphere but with an attraction feel. So as we all may know, you know they have uh, the Kilimanjaro safaris and they have the two animal trails. But what they had a challenge doing was keeping animals on set or on scene whenever people came by, like especially with the safari. So they had to come up with all kinds of little tricks of the, uh, to, to figure out. The Imagineers were real creative. Um, so I was just going to go over a couple of them. Uh, w- one of the generic things they did was put food or you know s- small amounts of food in, in key aspects, but it's has, they tried to hide it from the public so it just kind of didn't look quite so obvious that they're just plopping down some food to get the animals to stick around and they call it browse so on the safari there's a lot of uh, for instance there's a lot of um, hidden places that they hide some maybe some uh, grass Uh, it looks like a log upside turned log but it's really uh, imagineering actually would design something and look like that one of the cool stories I remember hearing about the Pangani Forest Exploration Trail is the gorillas, they just would not cooperate with coming closer to the, the, the people walking on the trail. So one of the, the things they came up with is a raisin cannon. And basically it just squirted out a bunch of raisins closer to the, where the people were so to kind of get the gorillas used to going forward and not being so scared uh, being up front. I don't think they quite use that tactic anymore, but that was just one of those cool uh, little stories uh, early on. I just uh, just recently uh, I got a nice uh, zoom uh, lens, and I there's new creative ways they do it. They have holes drilled in the trees uh, for, for the gorillas, and it looks like they put some kind of probably peanut butter and honey or something mixed uh, in these holes. So the gorillas will come forward and just you see you'll see them start poking their finger in the holes and pull, you know licking their fingers so it's pretty cool um and also on the safari you always have the lions uh, on pride rock when you come around the corner and they always seem to be you know right where in the perfect view of the camera shot and and everything well you may or may not know this but they they condition uh the rocks either most of the year it's air, it's cold they so they keep them cold so they'll want to linger right there and, you know, it, it can go both ways. It, if it's too cold outside, they'll, they can actually heat the rocks as well. Don't forget they keep them well power washed, too, as I learned the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so if you're looking out your balcony, you know, you may see some uh, some cool cast members power washing some stuff. But 
but anyway, those are some of the cool tricks uh, that I learned. It nothing nothing seems to ama- uh, ceases to amaze me with Imagineering Spirit. They figure out a way to to keep it going because they have to go all day long and, and keep it consistent for all uh, people visiting. And now I learned something else. If you want to keep Tim on track, just have a whole bunch of raisins around. <laughs> raisins and peanut butter, uh, you know, maybe. Take that, $15. <laughs> and Greg, what have you learned? In doing research for this, I tried to verify as much as this information as possible. And maybe you guys can help me out here, but... I have something uh, about Rock and Roller Coaster that I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, Prior to Aerosmith, as we know, the featured band of that attraction, I had found out uh, that U2 was originally approached to be the starring band. But in addition to doing some research on that, I had also learned that the music of the Rolling Stones was supposed to be the featured music on the attraction but according to legend truth whatever it is the negotiations for rolling stones didn't go too well i think it was a budgetary issue that they wanted too much money or it just proved to be too expensive for disney so they settled on aerosmith so i don't know if you guys can lend any credence or verification to that but i thought it was interesting that as well it was you too no it was rolling stones so Kind of interesting when you start digging what you find out. That one I never heard of. I've always heard, yeah, I've always heard Rolling Stones as well. Wow. I always uh, smile and I'm always amazed how they shoehorn sweet emotion into that ride of all the Aerosmith songs to put in at that point. You know, you listen to some of the lyrics and you listen to what the song is really about and you look, look at the video of it and then you hear it on Rock and Roller Coaster. It's just one of those things that just... Almost it goes, but in some other ways it doesn't go. It's almost like the little uh, subtleties of the jokes that are in uh, Country Bear or in uh, Hoop Dee Doo. Yeah. At mm-hmm. that point, almost like putting on uh, Love in an Elevator in uh, Tower of Terror. <laughs> I just feel as if Aerosmith is more geared towards the American market. Uh, they are big over here in the UK, but they're definitely not as big as they were. In America, the amount of albums or singles that they've, they've sold or even released, uh, I just feel as if probably Rolling Stones would have been better as a worldwide sort of brand rather than Aerosmith. Yeah, good point. yeah definitely from a, a branding standpoint, Rolling Stones with that logo is certainly recognizable. So you 2 I don't know if I buy that, but uh, yeah, definitely Rolling Stones I could see. My question is, who would you put in there now? Hmm. Backstreet Boys. <laughs> I don't know. It's tough. I, I'm i at a loss to come up There's with There's not it. a worldwide band, really, you could put in there at this moment in time that sort of rivals even Aerosmith, Rolling Stones, anything like exactly. that. Exactly. In some ways, they're timeless, but in other ways, too, they're dated. I mean, I grew up on hairband music because that's just what my brother pretty much raised me on. But I think now, you know, you have these younger children now, they really don't know who Aerosmith is. They kind of just look at them as, okay, they're the guys that are played on the classic rock station. Yeah. I'm not listening to the classic rock station is what they're pretty much thinking at the moment. Music is so diverse these days, especially with uh, digital uh, music streaming. Um, you know, there's not a day goes by my, my teenage daughter, like, introduces me to some new band that I've never heard of. So, <laughs> yeah, it would be really tough to pick one. Yeah, it would. Definitely. 
Exactly, and it's so hard sometimes to keep current. I try to do it as a teacher, but I basically take uh, two or three of my uh, miles when I'm on a long run and just kind of put on uh, whatever uh, top 40 streaming uh, service is there to kind of just keep current. But half of the stuff I start listening to it, and I'm like, the stuff of today is junk. (laughs) Yeah. I was just showing you these. I know, it's seriously, it's starting to really disturb me. That, and I'm starting to see a little bit of snow in the uh, goatee. It's... <laughs> it's longevity as well, though. You know, I mean, you can just put a band in that's sort of current just now. Disney wouldn't do that. You know, they have to have some sort of legacy behind them, so you do have to get back to 70s, 80s. You'd be hard-pushed, all right, you two in the 90s, but... They wouldn't just throw money at a, a band that was doing it right now because they don't know how long they're going to last for. Exactly. And I don't think there's anything that has longevity now that was popular in the 90s or the 80s that would uh, really kind of work in that spot at the moment. But, listeners, if you can think of anybody that does have that sustainability, please tweet us at the Mickey Dudes. We would love to hear your opinion on this. And moving on to me. I'm going to go with a little historical idea, too. And this comes from the development of Walt Disney World. When Walt Disney, to kind of keep the story hush-hush and not break the bank in buying all this swampland in Florida, created a bunch of dummy corporations and ended up buying the land and then pretty much doing what he wanted with it by creating the Reedy Creek Improvement District. As hotels were starting to pop up on the property they needed elevator inspectors. Problem was, as hotels started to pop up, there was only one elevator inspector within the general area of that section of Florida. And to get these uh, inspectors over to the Disney property was always a major issue, and they had some time constraints to work with. So since they ended up creating their own municipality, they created their own elevator inspection service too. And as a result, because they were their own government, they created their own elevator company to be able to uh, get them certified for the state. Then you move on to Tower of Terror. (laughs) Yeah, I hope that they kind of had some stringent guidelines for that. (laughs) That's pretty crazy, Dave. Yeah, I never knew that. I'm just curious about if there's any national requirements they still have to meet, though. I'm sure they do. With that one, I ended up uh, using one of my friends uh, who just became a uh, member of the Reedy Creek Fire Department. He just moved back down to uh, Disney from New York City in uh, January. And I messaged him asking him if he can give me any uh, interesting facts that, A, he was allowed to actually say, because a lot of the stuff he's privy to, he has to keep quiet for obvious reasons. And... That was pretty much one of the only ones that he could give me. <laughs> cool. All right, going back around. Stephen, what else do you have for us? Second one I've got is not all the big theme parks in Florida are all they seem to be. You've got your big ones. You've got Epcot, uh, Magic Kingdom, Animal Kingdom, and the studios. Since, and you've also got your two water parks. But there has been other parks that have been in Florida that Walt Disney World have actually been in place with. You had the River Country and you had uh, Discovery Island. I've been to both of these throughout my times, but in 1999 and in 2001, they decided to shut these down. Aww. Not for any reason 
that they weren't bringing any money or nobody really wanted to go. It was all to do with uh, the government and uh, the fact that the new Florida law had come in in relation to unchlorined water. So with River Country being another water park, it was a sort of fresh water park where uh, it was an old time water park where you had old, old slides and you know it was the old river hole that you used to go to. That was shut down because obviously the new laws coming in wouldn't allow that to carry on. And you get Discovery Island, which was a fantastic park. It was sort of the, pre the precursor to Animal Kingdom. Yeah, Discovery Island, which is in Bay Lake, uh, between Walt Disney World and the Ticket and Transportation Centre. Uh, it was fantastic. It shows with birds and animals and lovely beaches, and you could just wander around there in the lovely open air with all the ferns and the trees. You could grab a beer. You could just, it just felt as if it was a paradise island. But obviously because of the new laws, they had to shut that down as well. And it's a shame because obviously nothing's happened with these two areas. And there has been talk of obviously DVC coming into river country and, parts and other sort of developments like that. But nothing's actually happened with them. So although the big singing all dancing theme parks that you get, there has been other ones in Disney that... Yeah, that just didn't work, and obviously part they had to shut them down. I could swear that I remember reading some type of rumor, or maybe it was just somebody writing some fan fiction or something saying, "Oh, this is what Disney should do." But there was either talk or there was a big uh, push to uh, make the um, Discovery Island during the popularity of Lost make it into the island itself and put a whole bunch of Dharma stations on the island. <laughs> That'd be cool. Yeah, that would that would be. Of course, now Lost doesn't have its popularity, so people would still be uh, lost on the whole lost? idea, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Do you guys see those pictures online of the abandoned river country? Those are really creepy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Trees going through the slides and all that, and just uh, the weeds choking it out. Yeah, the last guy that sort of went over there was 2009, and he sort of got lifted by the security pretty quickly. Yeah, It's sad to see it in that state, but, you know, what are they going to do? I think if you go on YouTube, there's a lot of people that have jumped the fence and pretty much have filmed gorilla style going through it mm -hmm. and stuff. I love watching all of those videos. For me, it doesn't ruin the magic. For me, it just makes me more curious about the magic. Have you ever been there, any of you? No. I never did. I didn't start going to uh, the property until I uh, about six years ago. Well, River Country was the first one I went to. first time we went was 1992. Uh, so it's sort of nostalgic in relation to the first water park we'd, we'd gone to at Disney. Uh, and then, again... 1994, we went to Discovery Island. But that used to be part of your package. You know, you used to buy your, your four-day pass and you either got Discovery Island or Pleasure Island to go to uh, at night. Uh, none, none of your big 14-day passes here, you know. Stephen, I'm excited. Uh, you know, this DVC thing, I think, is is, is a go. Um, obviously, they don't want to, you know, short-change any, short-sell any of their other stuff that they're trying to finish up, but... But can you imagine if they stick with, I assume they would probably have some component of this, but stick with like the river, um, 
theme and in in water have like a little water park there. Um, that would be so cool. I would I would really consider buying into something like that. Yeah, I mean it was huge. I mean it was absolutely massive. I mean you think obviously the other two water parks you know are big. This was this was massive for for, for its time and the crowds it used to generate was unbelievable. I mean, it used to be stopped at 12 o'clock. You couldn't get in after 12 o'clock some days. <laughs> I, I remember taking a boat from Magic Kingdom over to um, Wilderness Lodge, and the boat driver took a detour over by Discovery Island. It was at night, and he was telling us that there's a flock of birds. I think there's some type of cranes or something that are free living over at uh, Animal Kingdom that can go to almost any exhibit. They kind of hang out around the hippos and stuff like that. And they were trying to train them. They were putting houses for them to kind of stay on the Animal Kingdom property. But they were so conditioned, they were from Discovery Island, that every night they fly back to Discovery Island to sleep. And then he just shined this uh, flashlight up at Discovery Island on one side. And sure enough, it was just all of these huge birds on these trees sleeping. It looked like something out of an Al- Alfred Hitchcock movie. <laughs> That's cool, though. Yeah. And, Greg, what else you have for us? This one's kind of quick, but see if you guys can answer this question. So there are three places in the United States here that you can find an official presidential seal. Of course, one is the Oval Office. The second one, Philadelphia, where they keep the Liberty Bell. Now, do any of you guys know where the third one is? It's on property, of course. <laughs> All of presidents, maybe? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I thought that was interesting because yeah. obviously it's the official seal. And, and you walk in there and it's in the carpet. I've walked over it several times. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's, that's a pretty cool fact. So I thought that was very interesting. You would think that they would have it in the carousel of progress, considering it's the carousel of no progress. It just <laughs> fits. <laughs> yeah. But we're not going to get political too much. You mentioned carousel of progress, and I'm going to actually piggyback on your comment. Um, you guys know that the dog in carousel of progress is featured where else in the park? Pirates. Right. Do you know its name? Rough. <laughs> is it the one that they call him in the actual carousel, or does he have a different name? It's uh, the name referred to in carousel. Rover? Yep. And on the other side of that, there are, um, from what I understand, there are three bathtubs in the Magic Kingdom. This one is just right off the top of my head. One of my friends who used to be a cast member hit me with this one. Can any of you tell me where they are? Uh, carousel. Carousel's one. one. Um, yeah, Uncle yeah. Audible. Uh, this might not still be current, so... I, I'm at a loss. The second no, one... can't think of the other two. Uh, there's an Uncle Orville-like character taking a bath in the middle of the mountains on Big Thunder Railroad. Oh, okay. <laughs> and yep. the other one is just this huge bathtub-type structure that they sell water and uh, fruit and everything out of, and I think it's in the Adventureland Bazaar, hmm. or wherever it was. Actually, the Adventureland nice. Bazaar is in uh, is in Disneyland, so it's some retail location where they are selling he- healthy stuff, and they actually have a bathtub and they sell it out of there. Now, again, <laughs> is it actually there now? It might be. This was told to me years ago, so who knows if they've changed it out for various reasons? But at one time, that was a uh, interesting little trivia question in uh, in Disney that could be. Uh, proven nice 
Cool. So we have a little bonus one with that. You see, this is why <laughs> I love this show. Just little things just come to mind as we start recording every night. This is why it's just so much fun to do this show. And Jeff, what else do you have for us? Guys, I don't know. You remember hearing about this massive solar farm they just installed that's shaped as a Mickey head? Uh, I just heard about that yesterday. I'm intrigued. Yeah. So we saw it. I read the article about it. It was coming. It's in collaboration with uh, Duke Energy. And it's pretty massive. It's actually 22 acres in size. They, They said it cranks out enough power. Uh, on a good sunny day to power a thousand homes, so it's pretty pretty big deal. Um, but what was most interesting about it is you st- start reading up about it, and they said it's the second largest hidden Mickey. Now wait a minute, second largest hidden Mickey. So then you start. I started digging a little deeper, and sure enough, there was a what they call now is the hidden Mickey forest. So apparently, back in 1992, Disney used some reclaim recaptured water land. It wasn't going to be developed on. Uh, it's about eight miles northwest of Magic Kingdom. It's technically in Claremont, Florida, but it is 60 acres, and it makes this. You can actually see it from the air, from an airplane. <laughs> so a lot of people, I guess, point to it and try to see it on their when they're taking off uh, Orlando. But what surprised me, I guess, was just how massive of an undertaking this was. Well, there's a lot of cool articles you can read about it, but it's 50,000 pine trees. And they, they specifically picked pine trees so it would stand apart from the natural foliage around there. And so to this day, it just stands up like a you know sore thumb. You can't miss it. It's this big, giant Mickey Mouse. And it's interesting. We were just talking about <laughs> people uh, going to river country, uh, jumping the fence. Well, you can also see some... This is private property, mind you. <laughs> but you can also see some YouTube videos of people jumping the fence and going kind of hanging out in this, uh, you know, the hidden Mickey forest. You know what really intrigues me about that place is if you do actually manage to sneak in and camp over there, all the woodland creatures pitch your tent, do your dishes, <laughs> clean your clothes, and they sing to you every morning. Nice. It's great. I'm going. That's it. I'm going next time. Uh, you need to have a really beautiful blonde or uh, brunette <laughs> or sultry mm. redhead with you. Yep. <laughs> I thought you'd provide that. Every man for himself, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and turning back to me, I'm going to talk about an underrated film that I find to be pure joy, and that's Hercules. And during one of the best songs of the uh, entire movie, I won't say I'm in love, Meg is singing about her not being into Hercules when she really is, and the muses from the Grecian urn who are pretty much designed to look like in vogue of the 1990s, which was all four of them was my first crush growing up, are all represented as busts. And they are uh, arranged the same way with one broken as the bust in the Haunted Mansion graveyard are while they're singing. There's a little Easter egg to uh, the Haunted Mansion put into Hercules. That is pretty cool. Yes, it is. Steven, what else you have for us? It's a small one, this one. Uh, everyone that goes to Walt Disney World always comments, what is this smell? It says, you go there and you just try and recreate the smell when you get back home. Nothing nothing seems to do it. But when you walk up Main Street and you, you just take in everything with the popcorn, the candy floss and everything like that, but Disney actually pump in vanilla essence into the air round about Main Street so that it, it is an actual smell 
of Walt Disney World rather than you know just the, the area that you're in and then at Christmas they, they fire out peppermint so it's a wee bit more special as well. Now you see on a tour of Disneyland I was told that they attempted to do that and they were no longer doing it because it didn't go over as well. Hmm. At Disneyland? Yeah. Hmm, it was actually during the uh, Walk in Walt's Disneyland Footsteps tour, which is an amazing tour. If you're ever going to Disneyland, it is a must-do. It's not that expensive, and you end up in Walt's apartment. Oh, nice. It's Very absolutely nice. amazing. And you actually get to go into the lobby of Club 33. They don't let you upstairs. <laughs> they keep the riffraff somewhat contained, but they do let you in to get a small little glimpse, and, and you get to stand in front of the elevator. You can't touch it. But you get to stand in front of it for a picture if you're good. Wow, nice. If your name is not down, you're not coming in. <laughs> exactly. Steven, I'd be surprised if in today's day they don't pump in Essence of Starbucks and like sell it in the corner store. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Anything to get you in there nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, what else do you have for us? Uh, have you guys, um, you've been to Disney World, I'm sure, with, in a lightning storm. I think we all have. What a lot of people don't realize is that Peninsula, uh, Central Florida, is one of the uh, number one, uh, number one of the top lightning strikes in the world, and um, so to mitigate that, Disney obviously has to do a lot of special lightning protection. Uh, there are codes to go by, but I think I feel like Disney goes above and beyond those codes. If you're ever in one of the resorts, you just look up. There's lightning rods everywhere, and especially in the theme parks. But what I wanted to point out, I guess, was. I've, I've been in the lightning storms there many times, and recently we were waiting for July 4th fireworks, and it was delayed because this big thunderstorm came through. And I noticed that, you know, here's a bunch of us nuts standing by this flagpole Duh. and waiting for this storm to blow by, and we're just, we want to save our spot because we're waiting for this fireworks because we're trying to talk, you know, photograph this thing. Nobody came out and said, hey, guys, you might want to clear away from that flagpole, and, you know, had a lot of people snickering at us, like, look at those dumbbells you know standing by the flagpole in a uh, lightning storm well i mean i ended up getting probably one of the best shots of my life uh, lightning coming down next to the cinderella's castle but is that short it's a shock yeah yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) and but it made me want to research it a little bit deeper um i've I've, what i've found is uh, going back to 1989 um disney has never uh Op- uh, publicly announced any kind of uh, lightning injuries. And then that was just, uh, to 1989 uh, to 2001 was just um, stuff that they would uh, offer on their own. But starting in 2001, it was mandatory. So every uh, incident that occurs at Disney World, they have to report it, no matter how silly and trivial. And it, so it's definitely since 2001, there's never been any kind of uh, lightning-related uh, injuries. So you start thinking, well, just think about the massive amount of people that come through there. And this is one of the number one places, one of the top five probably places in the world with lightning strikes. It's just It just blows my mind. So I, I kind of rest at ease, at least when I'm in a, one of the theme parks. Now, granted, they will shut those water parks down in a second. I've been there many times when the water parks shut down, especially pools too. So they don't they don't mess around with pools and water parks. But I've definitely in the theme parks I've noticed they it, it just seems like you know you're you're pretty pretty safe. And this is bringing us to our next bonus fact because I am going to piggyback on you because there is one spot on that property that is not heavily populated with lightning rods, and that would be 
ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex. (laughs) (laughs) And I found this out the hard way in my trip over there in November when I was about to run the Wine and Dine Half Marathon. And a huge lightning storm came through. And they ended up having to evacuate us all off of the field that we were about to start the race on. They stuck us in Championship Stadium and the Jostin Center. And the reason being is because with all the open fields, they have no lightning rods over there. So we were in major danger for a very long time. They ended up having to uh, change the Wine and Dine Half Marathon to the Wine and Dine Half of a Half Marathon (laughs) because of time constraints. They cut out an entire section so we didn't get to run through... uh, Animal Kingdom Park, and it was basically went from 13.1 miles to 7.3 or something like that. That day, it did start to rain, and as we're walking over to the stadium, they kind of just herded us all like cattle, but very orderly. There was this uh, woman that I passed by, and she had her uh, self wrapped in one of those mylar blankets to keep out of the rain, and I just looked at her and. Knowing that there were no rods around, I just I just uh, gently smiled and said, Sweetie, you might not want to be having that around you at the moment, considering it's metal, because <laughs> you're going to fry. And she just looks at me, and she's like, oh, my God. And she just took it and just flung it away. She's like, thanks. I didn't even think of that. I just gave it a thumbs up and continued on. Yeah, like a fried chicken. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not condoning anybody <laughs> treads through the parks during lightning storms. Uh, usually there's a lot of rain associated with it anyway, but um, but I know I'm not going to worry about it as much uh, anymore. With that, I'm actually going to go to another emergency situation with my final one. My friend who is the uh, Reedy Creek contact also happens to be a former monorail pilot. And it's actually the first night I, I met him, we were at a... Uh, event uh, to raise money for Give Kids the World. It was actually one of the uh, meetups that the Diz Unplugged does. And we're all kind of just hanging out. And he was telling his story of how he used to work at Disney and telling us all these different stories about uh, his college days when he was actually a pilot on the monorail. Now college program can work on the uh, platform, but they can't actually drive the monorail. He actually got to drive it. And one of the things he was telling us is in case of a fire on the monorail they have to go to the next stop to evacuate everybody the only thing is if the monorail itself is on fire they have to speed through the contemporary they cannot stop it monorail could be burning with people inside it and they cannot stop at the contemporary because it's an indoor structure and it can end up being a major fire hazard for the rest of the hotel so they have to pretty much the way that they have to stay on track but they have to go to the next stop before they can end up doing any type of uh, evacuation. I can understand yeah, that. Yeah, that makes sense. I, you know, I, what is it? Is the next stop TTC? Is that what you're talking about? Or, or I think it goes in that way. Hold on. I always have notes of where the monorail stops because I always get that confused. And of course, because I went to record, I turned my phone off. So we're going to put that idea on hold and I'm going to ask Greg to give his last one while I check this information. I'll be back for you with the monorail loop for my final one this is kind of interesting so disney world produces a lot of its own energy and what it does is it takes food waste and converts that into methane gas that they use to fuel power generators so what happens is they take food scraps 
by truckloads to a facility on property and then it's put into these large vats where you know microorganisms and all that stuff digest the waste and the byproduct of that is methane gas they take that gas pump it to nearby generators and then that power is then sold to Reedy Creek Improvement District and then in turn they sell the power back to Disney World. That's pretty interesting uh, utilities kind of thing that I, I like those stories. I think they're very interesting. I kind of dig finding out that kind of stuff. So another interesting one. Those Disney guys are always on the cutting edge. Oh yeah. It's always good to, to find out that obviously the, the food that is wasted and there is no, tons of food wasted at Disney World every day actually goes somewhere and, and benefits someone. Mm-hmm. It's not just food, guys. It's also some other stuff. <laughs> we used to live. We used to live <laughs> next uh, near one of these facilities. It was obviously dirty for zoning. They don't keep it where people are living. But to get to work, I had to drive by one. And boy, howdy, <laughs> it smelled. Yeah, <laughs> you knew it was. Yeah, that's the one thing I was very happy with uh, them getting rid of the speedway. Back on the marathon course when the speedway was there you would run through the speedway and then you would have to run around it and you would end up going through the water treatment plant at disney during the marathon course so about maybe two miles it just really (laughs) stunk (laughs) this year i don't remember if we went by it i i think with the construction of taking down the uh the speedway i think we were rerouted some somewhere else so we passed a section but it wasn't as bad that day Plus, at that point, I was just so numb from all the pain um, of, of running Goofy that I probably didn't even notice it if I if I did. But the first year, I could barely breathe running through that park for about two miles. It just smelt of refuse. <laughs> and that's Man. putting it nicely. When Stephen was talking about smells, I thought that's the story he was going to go into. Yeah, his story was had a, a more pleasant odor than mine did. So. <laughs> Exactly. Well, we're all full of it here. We all know that. So, <laughs> yep. And Jeff, in answer to your question, yes, the next stop would be the TTC on the monorail loop. If you're coming from the Magic Kingdom, the resort uh, order is the Contemporary, the TTC, the Poly, then the Grand Floridian, then back over to the Magic Kingdom. Cool. Can't wait to see the next fan movie where it shows the blazing monorail going through the Contemporary. <laughs> They'll just say it's a new wrap for a new movie. Yeah. <laughs> all right guys and with that let's tell everybody where they can find us greg where can they find you you can reach me on twitter at g nevis that's n-e-v-i-u-s and also on facebook look me up under greg nevis n-e-v-i-u-s you can find me on facebook under dave koch k-o-c-h and on twitter at figments reality steven where can they find you yeah you can find me on facebook under steven maxwell and if you want to get me on Twitter, it's S-J-M Disney. And Jeff. Sure, Jeff Williams on Facebook and at BrainDud92 on Twitter. Excellent. And you can follow all of the Mickey Dudes on Twitter at the Mickey Dudes. We have a Facebook fan page where we end up uh, reposting uh, a whole bunch of Disney news and anything Disney related that makes us smile throughout the day. You could also email us if you have any questions for us at themickeydudes at gmail.com. And with that, we're going to wrap it up for today. We hope that you have a magical day. And remember, it's all the little things. 
You've just listened to another exciting episode at the Mickey Dudes Podcast. You can find the Mickey Dudes on Facebook at the Mickey Dudes Podcast and on Twitter at the Mickey Dudes. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share the love on Stitcher or iTunes. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you again real soon.